calls a spade a spade, but also challenges us to take the next steps. Jesus doesn't say, look, this is what you've done good. This is what you've done bad. Okay. He says, look, I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Jesus doesn't leave us where we are. He loves us too much to do that. So there's a challenge to go forward. And then each letter closes with a promise. If you set out today to find the perfect church, you'd be stuck in an endless loop of church hopping. Churches are made up of imperfect people, just like you. We can't hide our flaws from God in a church. They bubble up there, too. Today's message is the first in a series where Pastor Daniel takes us through the strengths and weaknesses of the churches addressed by Jesus in the book of Revelation. Jesus sees everything we do and wants us to know what we're getting right and also what needs changing. Now, let's join Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, Diagnosis, Just Add Love. One of my greatest memories of growing up, and it still continues to this day, is uh, spending time with my grandmother, Anita, Anita Capadona. My grandma is about four foot ten, and she's progressively getting shorter. But I remember growing up, my grandparents used to live about a half mile away in kind of classic northeast Italian fashion, where like they just take over like a whole block. And I remember my grandmother, my grandma. I mean, she's a little late. She's sweet. She'll she'll just kiss you until you until you fall over. You'll submit under her love. But she's got this thing for crime dramas. And, and so I remember, in, it must have been the early 90s, uh, when NYPD Blue came out. It was probably one of the first nighttime crime drama shows. And, and, and it was fun because, you know, I was older at that time. I was, I was in my late teens, and so I'd be able to stay up and watch those shows. And that was, you know, I think late night TV is probably a lot different now than it was then. But I remember watching the show with my grandmother and, and in very Italian fashion, my grandmother was very vocal. And so we'll be watching this show. And then all of a sudden, as you get towards the end, as this case is unraveling, and there'd be that little twist about three quarters of the way through the show. So you kind of know where it's going. And all of a sudden, my grandmother would be staring at the television. She'd go, Madonna mia. And that's just one of my greatest memories. And now my grandma, she's almost 90. Sure enough, you go spend some time with her in Florida. And right after dinner's over and coffee and cake, sure enough, there's a whole, now there's a million crime scene dramas. So now she's trying to watch two and three at a time. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but we have a, an affinity for these type of shows, or a lot of people do. I, listen, I'm not going to say that everybody does, especially in a room this size, but there's so many of these type of shows, right, where we enjoy watching a case unfold. We have all the clues, and we're putting it all together, and then there's an assessment, whether it's from a, a Navy investigative team, whether it's FBI profilers, what, whatever city it's in. They all have the same thing where people are looking at a situation and they're uncovering all these clues and ultimately they're putting together 
an outcome for the show. And as I was thinking about what we're going to be studying, I realized that Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches, is Jesus' own case study, where Jesus actually is looking at these seven churches, and he's saying, these are all the details of what's going on in this church. These are the things that they're doing well. These are the things that they're not doing well. And I felt that for us as a, as a church, it's a good thing to see how Jesus assesses what churches look like. Because there's all different types of churches, of every different shape, size, style. But ultimately, the church is the people of God, the bride of Christ. And so we want us as a church collectively and as individual members, each one of us, we want to say we want to be the type of church that Jesus would say, you guys got it going on. Doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. What does Jesus think? Because he is the Lord of the church. Now, these just by way of background, these seven churches were literally a, a little arch in what is modern-day Turkey. It was a, a mail route or a, t- a trade route. It would just go like a little loop in western Turkey. And so these seven churches were local churches in the end of the first century when the Apostle John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos, wrote it. So these were literal churches. It would be like if Jesus said, I want to write letters to the churches in Vancouver, Washington. He said, okay, to Crossroads Community Church, write this. To Living Hope, write this. To New Heights, write this. To Summit View, write this. To Life Point, write this. So there were literal churches in that day. Now, what's interesting is not only are these literal letters to literal churches, but each one of these churches, every single church, has these aspects to who they are. So even though they were written to specific churches some 2,000 years ago, every church is full of God's people, and we can learn from the admonition and the teaching. So we can apply them individually to us 2,000 years later as well. Now, some scholars, and if you've studied the book of Revelation at all, some scholars like to lay out, like to say that these seven letters actually give a prophetic outline from the Apostle John's day, but for us, they would be a historical outline of church history. Now, I think it's a cute interpretation. I don't really like it, though, because everybody in the end of the day, if you've ever read these, wants to be the church in Philadelphia. No matter which persuasion, everyone likes the church in Philadelphia because that was like the good church, and everyone wants to make whoever they're, the, the church they're the least like, they're like the Laodicean church. So I kind of find that kind of prophetic interpretation to be extraordinarily arbitrary, in its application. So we're gonna, we're gonna stay away from that. Okay? We're just gonna look at it. What does it mean for that local congregation and what does it mean for us today? So first I wanna give you the checklist. The checklist is the revelation, the good, the bad, the challenge, and the promise. So for each one of these Letters, it follows this little checklist. The revelation, the good, the bad, the challenge, and the promise. So each one of these letters has this, these components to it. Now, it's interesting that a couple letters 
have exclusions, and we'll talk about why they're there. But really, each letter to the church, first Jesus reveals himself to the church. He says, it's to this church, and this is who I am. And you have to realize, the book of Revelation is not about Apache attack helicopters primarily. It's not about the mark of the beast. It's really, if you look at the very first verse of the book of Revelation, it says, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. So anytime you get into an interpretation of the book of Revelation that isn't solely focused on who Jesus is, it, I would consider to be a sloppy interpretation. It's not about who the Antichrist is, who the false prophet. Those are B and C parts. The main focus on the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. Okay? So we always want to have, in reading the book of Revelation, and don't get me wrong, there are all sorts of people, people who I love, who've made whole careers and millions of dollars trying to explain to you every detail. They read the newspaper, they go to the book of Revelation, they match it up in some cockamamie way, they write a book, and people read it en masse. And I'm not saying that those interpretations are necessarily wrong, but, I mean, how many of them are really right? For those of you who've been around the Christian block, you've read all sorts of interpretations for some 40, 50 years, and we're still standing here today. So the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. And so with each letter, Jesus says, this is who I am. I want to reveal myself in and to my church. He says, this is the good things that you're doing. He commends the churches. These are the things you got right. With the commendation, there's also the bad. There's no perfect church. There's only a church that's in process. So in every church, in every church, there are shadow sides. And that includes Crossroads Community Church. If you've ever been in our welcome center, um, when we have our introductory meeting, I always tell people, listen, if you're looking for a perfect church, and if you think you're perfect, then don't join us here in Crossroads, because you'll ruin it. There's no perfect people in church. There's not one church that's got everything together. So if you're looking for that, you have to wait until heaven. But we're all called to join an imperfect church who Jesus is growing. That's the gospel message. Why is there no perfect church? Because there's no perfect people except for Jesus. And a church is a collection of a group of imperfect people. So if you, if you notice, you're here at Crossroads, you notice some imperfection in Crossroads, don't get down on it. This is Jesus is at work. Just say, hey, man, Lord, we're going to just take that next step. We're going to grow in these ways because there's no perfect church. So there's the revelation, the good, the bad, and then there's the challenge. And I like that about Jesus. Jesus calls a spade a spade, but also challenges us to take the next steps. Jesus doesn't say, look, this is what you've done good. This is what you've done bad. Okay. He says, look, I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Jesus doesn't leave us where we are. He loves us too much to do that. So there's a challenge to go forward. And then each letter closes with a promise. A promise that says, if you overcome, if you persevere, if you take the next steps, this is the blessing that comes. And I believe that this checklist, the revelation, the good, the bad, the challenge, and the promise, not only can it be applied to every church, but it can be applied to every one of us. That Jesus wants to reveal himself in us and to us. Jesus wants to say, look, this is what you're doing really well, right on. He wants to say, look, you're really kind of just mailing it in in this area. And then he says, look, I want to challenge you to take the next step. And then he gives the promise, if you take the next step, this is the blessing that comes. So we can apply this to each one of our lives 
as individuals. So open up your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Revelation is the very last book. So this book, the Bible, 66 books divided into what we commonly call the Old Testament, which is everything before Jesus, and then the New Testament, which is from the birth of Jesus onward. The book of Revelation is the very last book here. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 7. In verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, verse 2, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove you from your lampstand, from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So that's the letter. Now, notice it begins to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes. Now, there's a lot of discussion on who the angel is. Is it an angelic being? We know that the Greek word angel, angelos, literally means a messenger. And there's all sorts of non-biblical writings where angelos is actually applied to a human. So people say it's either the pastor, the bishop. Some people say it is an angelic being. I don't know the answer to it. We just know that it's being written to somebody who has caretaking authority over this church in Ephesus. Now, the word Ephesus, of course, you should know it if you know your Bible. We have the letter to the Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul. And so the city of Ephesus was called the Queen of Asia. The Apostle Paul ministered there for three years. It was a huge commercial city. It was a major metropolitan center. Timothy who Paul discipled, was said to have spent a lot of time there, maybe have become the bishop there. It's also said that the Apostle John, after he returned from exile on the island of Patmos, spent a lot of time there as well from church history. So this was a a major, it'd be like writing a letter to the city of Portland, the church in the city of Portland, or New York City. It was a major metropolitan center in the Roman Empire. So Jesus is writing to the church in Ephesus, to the angel there, the caretaker. And look at what he says in verse 1. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, this teaches us that the church experiences Jesus' presence and protection. 
the church experiences Jesus's presence and protection. This is the revelation portion. That the church gets the blessing of the presence of Jesus and the protection of Jesus. Now you might say, well, Pastor Daniel, where on the world did you get that from? Right? Anybody else thinking that? Some people are like, uh, yeah, I don't know. How, how'd you get there? Let me explain. Because notice what he says. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, this is a direct reference to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Look at what it says. So just go back one verse, the very last verse of chapter 1. It says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So the book of Revelation begins with Jesus walking in the midst of these seven golden lampstands, holding these seven stars in his hand. And then he explains that the mystery of this is that the stars in in the hand, those are the angels, the seven angels of the seven churches, and those seven lampstands, each one of them is the church. So this is a picture of the leaders or an angelic caretaker and the churches. Now, when you think about it, he holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's a biblical picture. Remember Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. It means to be protected by God. That's why I said the church experiences the protection of Jesus. That's that's a place of safekeeping. For those of you who are parents, when your children get scared, what do they do? They run into your arms and you hold them. That's a place of protection for them. So the church experiences the protection of God. And not only that, Jesus is walking in the midst of the seven lampstands. Which, of course, means that Jesus is present within his church. Is it not true that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, what? I am in their midst. See, people like to say that, oh, what's church? It's just people getting together. No, no. When we gather together in the name of Jesus, whether we gather together in groups of twos and threes, or like what we do here on a Sunday, two, three, 4,000 people on a Sunday. When we do that, Jesus is actually in our midst. He spends time in the midst of his people. And so to the church in Ephesus, Jesus is saying, look, I am with you and I will protect you. Now, how many of us here today needed that reminder? That God has not forsaken you. That God has not said, look, I'm out of here. I'm tired of you. We may say that to other people. Other people may say that to us, but that is not how Jesus is. He holds you in his, in his hand, and he walks in your midst. Jesus is ever-present, and he cares about you no matter what you did last night, no matter what's going on, no matter how bad it is, Jesus will never leave nor forsake you. Now, we don't do crazy bad things, so to prove that out, But in the midst of the trials and struggles of life, he will protect you and he is with you. That might be the the missing link 
to what it means to really walk with Jesus, that no matter where you are, Jesus is with you, because if you are born again, Jesus is in you. So you bring him along wherever you go. But Jesus protects you. Jesus is with you at all times. That's where this thing begins. That's the revelation. Now, look at what happens in verse 2, because now we start getting into the good portion of Jesus' checklist. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, but you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Jesus gives a sevenfold commendation. This church is rocking the casbah. They got it going on. Seven things that they're doing good. What this teaches us is that Jesus doesn't miss a thing. Jesus doesn't miss a thing. He sees everything because he's in our midst. I've heard it said that God loves us so much he can't take his eyes off of us. And that's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Kind of terrifying depending on what life looks like though. Because he doesn't miss a thing. He sees everything. He begins with, I know. That word knowing in the Bible, it denotes intimacy. How often do you read in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. It speaks of covenant relationship, the deepest of intimacy. Jesus says, look, I know you. There are some of you in here today, maybe in the chapel, maybe watching online, hearing this later. You're running from God, but he knows everything about you. That's the thing about God. That's the thing about this, is that even though we try and pretend like God doesn't know us, we're like hiding out from God, he's God. And he doesn't miss a thing. He knows every single detail about you. And that's true of everybody, not only here in America, but in every tribe, nation, and tongue, every single person across this globe of every generation until Jesus returns, God knows everything about you. He's numbered every hair on your head. He understands everything completely about who you are. And it's a lesson in futility to try and pretend like you're getting one over on God by saying, I don't believe in you. As if God needed our belief to exist. That'd be like saying, I don't believe you're my parents. Well, actually, I have the ultrasound picture. I remember you when you were born. I don't believe it. It doesn't make him not your parents. It just means that you're being ignorant. And listen, ignorance may be bliss, but it's still ignorance. And I share that because, I mean, a lot of you know my story. I didn't grow up in the church. And I thought, ignorance, I'm doing whatever I want to do. This is great. And I say, man, ignorance is bliss. Who cares? But you know what the problem with blissful ignorance is still ignorant. And ignorance has never been used as uh, something that we should celebrate. God knows everything about you. Notice what they say to this church. They say, I know your works. I know your works. Scholars would say this is the general manner of life because we're all perpetually working, doing different things. Jesus is When Jesus addressed the seven churches in the book of Revelation, 
He was declaring who he is and diagnosing how well each body reflected him. In this first part of the study through Revelation, Pastor Daniel began by reminding us that there are no perfect churches, or people for that matter. The point is to allow Jesus to grow us. Jesus' first words to the church in Ephesus acknowledged what they were doing right, but there was room for change. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced for messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will focus on the positive attributes assigned to the church in Ephesus. The things they were doing right then are vital still to the church today. This church stood up for truth, and we have more ways than ever to test out the doctrines and beliefs that people bring to us. Being protective of the gospel should be of utmost importance. In this next message, we'll hear why. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through a series entitled Case Study next time. Until then, may God bless.